This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. How would Alfred deal with these two visitors to Gotham from Ireland? Well, I mean, first of all, how did he get to the door? And, uh, and secondly, I, I'd grasp you firmly by the elbow, and I'd walk you very smartly to the gates, and I might even show you my commando knife. How's that? <laughs> you could set the dogs on us as well. Yeah, well, no, I don't need dogs, mate. And we're back. Welcome to Gotham TV Podcast, the home of the hit TV show Gotham and the DC Connected Universe. I'm one of your hosts who is absolutely happy to be back, John. And I'm Derek. I'm also delighted to be back and a very happy St. Patrick's Day to you if you're of Irish descent. Uh, we're recording now on St. Patrick's Day after having the finally having the second two episodes of the second half of uh, Gotham broadcasting last night in the UK uh, is the two episodes Rogue's Gallery and What That Little Bird Told Me. Um, in this episode, we'll be talking about exclusively Rogue's Gallery with no spoilers for uh, the, What the Little Bird Told Me, but I am delighted to be back after this couple of months of break. It seemed so, so long. Yeah. I mean, it's three months, so it is. It is. It's, yeah. in fact, just over three months. So it is a long time, but it seemed an eternity. I mean... Just the tweets that were coming through and trying to avoid spoilers and wanting to interact with our American friends and our Canadian friends and kind of being sort of pulled back by the fact that, you know, if, if we knew too much or got ourselves spoiled uh, with loads of spoilers, then it would just kind of, you know, really put a dampener on, on it all coming back uh, on Channel 5. So I'm absolutely delighted it's back and we can kick off with episode 11. And um, it's really good. In the off season, we had reviewed the comic series Hush, mm -hmm. done by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, yep. which was a, a two-part uh, podcast episode. Yeah, and we also had an interview with Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stewart-Jones, which was a live interview, really fun one that happened just after the uh, the season ended. So if you didn't get the chance to check that out, go back and check that out. And very recently, the last two weeks, we also had an interview with Sean Pertwee, who plays Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah, a brilliant interview. Really yeah. great guy. Such uh, generosity with his time and with his answers. It was it was really good fun to yeah. to speak to him. Yeah, and you've probably heard the uh, little clip at the beginning of the show. That's our new intro, which has uh, Victoria, Andrew, and Sean Percy now introducing uh, Gotham TV podcast. So we're delighted about that. And of course, then we had the European Roundtable as well uh, so. with two uh, new friends of ours. Um, Chris and Irene, mm -hmm. they were on giving their thoughts from this side of the Atlantic um, in Ireland about uh, Gotham and the first 10 episodes. So check that out. I also happen to really love the image that we picked uh, for that. Um, mm -hmm. It tells you a lot about the European Union <laughs> to have a war room. But I, I found it really funny. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Whether that's good or bad or sad, I don't know, but I really <laughs> liked it. Um, One of your favourites, definitely. Yeah. And if you want to check those episodes out, as with all of our episodes, uh, go on to gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. You can go to, try to the iTunes account or just go on to gothamtvpodcast.com and search the podcasts group. All of our podcasts are up and available on the website and you can pick them up on any other good podcast catcher out there like Stitcher, Player FM. Um, yeah, tons of ways to get yeah, us. Yeah, loads of ways to find us. All right, and I think with that, we are on to our new format for uh, for reviewing shows. John, do you want to give people a, a, an idea of how we're going to be talking about the show going forward? Yeah, despite being about four minutes in, <laughs> um, you know, that's because we're so excited to be back and to be podcasting on a weekly basis from, from now on. But we will be looking to just simply, once we introduce the episode of our podcast and the episode of Gotham that we're going to uh, discuss... We then do intend on moving straight into the um, discussions about that episode of Gotham. Mm -hmm. And we're going to move the news that was originally at the start of the episode um, to the end of the uh, discussions that we have. And that's just because we've kind of felt that 
people probably want to hear the discussions about Gotham. Yeah. Um, so we're going to put that straight up front um, so that we can move straight on into it and uh, and then have the news right at the end. Yeah, and as I said at the start, we will be doing one podcast, one episode, where it makes sense. We know there is a two-part episode coming up uh, later on in the season. We don't know how how Channel 5 are going to be broadcasting that, whether it will be both episodes back-to-back in one night. When it is an official two-part episode, we may do a, a one podcast for it. This time, because two episodes were broadcast last night, we are actually going to separate them out, as we said, and talk about just Rogue's Gallery in this in this week's episode. And we'll release the other episode uh, later on in the week. All right. And with that, I think we're on to our review. John, do you want to give the synopsis of Rogue's Gallery, uh, written by uh, Su Chung and directed by Oz Scott? Yeah. So, Rogue's Gallery. Jim Gordon begins life in Arkham as a guard at the facility following his demotion by the Mur in the very public bust-up at the end of Lovecraft, mm-hmm. episode 10. Whilst Jim itches to be back at the GCBD, trouble is never far away. Jim and his former partner and colleague, Detective Harvey Bullock, team up, albeit for different organisations, as Harvey is called in by Jim to investigate a series of disturbing deaths at Arkham. It all appears that someone has been experimenting on the inmates. In the meantime, questions are being raised over Butcher's loyalty to Fish as the mob and Fish begin to sense the ever-increasing weakness of Falcone and his leadership over the mobsters. As the investigation into the culprit behind the grisly electrotherapy experiments at Arkham continues, this brings Jim into contact with Dr. Leslie Tompkins. And as a spark begins to develop between them, Jim's former lover and fiance Barbara Keane is moving closer to an emotional breakdown as her relationship with Detective René Montoya begins to crack. As tensions rise in Arkham, the inmate Jack Gruber is identified as the killer, just as he executes a mass breakout from the asylum with his most promising experiment so far. Yeah, excellent. Really good, uh, really good first episode back to uh, back to the second half of the season. I really enjoyed it overall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really was um, a good episode. Um, it was interesting to feel and think how this was going to work with Jim being in Arkham, yeah, um, and that partnership of Jim and Harvey being split up uh, in episode ten. Mm-hmm. You're kind of thinking, how will this work? And I think Rose Gallery having Jim in Arkham and Harvey back at the precinct, it, it really worked. Yeah, I agree. There were so many questions coming into this half of the season and we that's why we had the European round table. It was really good to discuss all the stuff that we had that we knew at the end of last season and all the stuff we were looking forward to for this season. And I liked the little setup at the start of this. Um, so listeners, in a bit of a change up to how we do our episodes, what we're going to be doing this time is talking about our top five case points um for this episode of Gotham. Uh, John's going to have his five, and I have mine. Or case files. Yeah, maybe even case Detective. files. Detective. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, now, these could be good points or bad points that we have about the episode, but we're going we're gonna to go back and forth on, uh, on our points that stood out to us about the episode. Exactly. I think first, straight off the bat, is just the portrayal of Arkham. Mm. I think it really just looks fantastic. Again, it's, it's the lighting. It's the fact that the whole episode opens up we know that Jim has been kind of um, sent to Arkham, ostracized, if you want to yeah. say that, by by the mayor. Yeah, it really um, is a punishment. It yeah. really is. It opens up with this fabulous, gritty look of Arkham that we have seen in the daylight previously. But this is at night time. You have the rain lashing down and you've got the lightning mm. um, going off in the background and, and the thunder. And that obviously has important significance to this episode as to how the people are actually um, found dead yeah. with big electro bolt sort of scars on either side of their, their forehead. Yeah, it's a really good point. I didn't even recognize the connection between the two until you pointed out about the lightning and the, and the electricity during the episode. But yeah. But even for um, then what we know now the 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 future and um, bad guy or of of this piece you know that's really significant to have that that lighting that lighting that lightning mm-hmm. um in fact um there it's it's a really good way of, of introducing arkham and that's just from the outside i think then as you move in 
it really does promise on everything that was not promised to Arkham by the mayor. Yeah. Complete lack of investment and money, this kind of half-baked scheme between the Moroni and the Falcone in that whole battle for Arkham. Yeah. Um, you know, we even get that from the director, Dr. Lang, mm -hmm. um, who's played here the by... The director, Doctor. As, as the director, Doctor, <laughs> exactly. Who's played here by Isaiah Whitlock Jr., mm -hmm. um, who we all know from The Wire. He was the mayor in, yep. in The Wire. Shh. Oh, sorry, we can't say that yeah, in this we, show, can we? No, we can't say that. <laughs> all but, just you know, Really good to see him as well as Dr. Lang. But, you know, he's constantly complaining about the lack of money, that it's all really just keep everything quiet. We don't really want to rock the boat here. Yeah. Um, you can sense that there's sort of a politic behind everything. Mm -hmm. um, but, you, you know, the halls look grubby. It really looks like an underinvested, half-baked scheme to house essentially... Um, mentally unstable uh, inmates yeah yeah absolutely he even calls it out to jim doesn't he at one point where he says welcome to welcome to public service and you know when jim, <laughs> yeah, exactly. when jim asks for people to investigate this this uh, case that's going on he essentially calls it out that we don't have any money for investigation this is your job um, which is really really interesting yeah, yeah. Really so i mean that that's my kind of first thing is that you know given how iconic this asylum is in the whole scheme of um, Batman and his story in terms of, again, his rogues gallery. Mm -hmm. And the place where, you know, it could be the residing place for a number of different um, villains and criminals uh, from Gotham, the TV show. Yeah. I think they handled it really, really well. It had that gothic sort of darkness, grittiness and grubbiness about it that you would kind of expect. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that really stood out for me, this is the first episode that Arkham appears in Gotham. And what happens at the end of the episode? There's a breakout. <laughs> you know, once again, Arkham can't keep in its villains, um, can't keep in its uh, its inmates, which I think is a, it's a great little touch, isn't it? So have you got any other points about Arkham that you wanted to make, John? No, I just think it looked really good uh, and was handled really well. And I, it's what I expected. It's kind of what I wanted, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was one of my really good points, I think, from this episode. Yeah, and for me, my first point really is Jim Gordon. We don't really talk about Ben McKenzie's portrayal of Jim Gordon that often, sadly, even though he's the central character of the show. It's, it's something that he tends to have a very perfunctory, a very functional role in a lot of the episodes, sadly. Um, I think in this episode, it's fantastic that they've left him alone. They've left him to his own devices. He's been separated from the rest of his team in the GCPD. And now he has an investigation that he's got to deal with on his own. I love how he deals with Dr. Lang. I've, I've mentioned a little bit uh, there earlier on, but I love that he he will not take no for an answer from uh, from Dr. Lang. He's told, you go and investigate it. This is a, an internal matter. But he gets the GCPD involved. He calls up Harvey to come down and help him investigate. Um, he just totally butts heads with authority again. And this is what the mayor was punishing him by sending yeah, him exactly. to Arkham. So that he stopped butting heads with authority. And of course, he continues, you know. Um, you can never put a good man down. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I love that during the investigation, he sniffs out the one guard who's nervous about the fact that he lost his keys. And it's it's all his fault as to why as people escaping and the murders that happen within or the... the uh, the electrocutions that happen within Arkham. It's all the fault of the guard that left his keys behind. Jim finds him. Then he has his triumphant return to the GCPD, even though he's wearing his security guard uniform. Uh, he walks in and says, this is this is my case. This is what I want you guys to deal with, essentially. So he still doesn't believe he's no longer a cop. And I think it's I think it's a really good arc for uh, for Jim in this episode, a really good treatment of, of Jim Gordon in this episode. So really enjoyed that, definitely. Yeah, no, I completely agree with, with those things. I think it was a really good um, episode for, for Jim Gordon. Mm. I think the only slight thing that I kind of maybe didn't quite get, and apologies for everyone who's heard me talking about the Jim Gordon and Barbara Keane thing uh -huh. <laughs> uh, at the Gotham uh, European Roundtable, but Jim comes back to Barbara's apartment and it's just a bit of a strange scene. It seems just like it's almost, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds long. It's really short. It seems to come out of nowhere yeah. that, he, that he's coming back. Um, and again, it just adds to that whole confusion, I think, for me, between him and um, and Barbara Keane's relationship, especially given what happens in this episode. So for me, that, that was a bit strange. You know, I think... Um, other than that, I thought Jim's whole um, 
investigation, his hook up back with Harvey Bullock was great, as yeah. you say. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I do agree with you. That scene seemed to come out of nowhere. I think it could have been played a couple of different ways. I'm going to talk about it in one of my one of my later points. I think the scene could have been played a bit differently and would have mattered a bit more. Um, but yeah, it seemed like he was coming back into the coming back into the apartment and you know for no particular reason just calls out Barbara's name and that was kind of it. There was no there was yeah. There's the empty cereal bowl from Selena Kyle and yeah. Ivy Pepper having been there. So maybe he thinks she's now back in Gotham and yeah. So he he's thinking about those things, but then obviously it just didn't come across in the scene. It seemed like something cut from a maybe a later episode or something like that. But you're right, it didn't seem to fit in this particular in this particular episode definitely. Um. That's it about Jim for for me. Um, John, what's your second point? Well, I think speaking of uh, relationships and Jim's former one with Barbara Keane, I thought this was a really good episode to do with Jim and his relationships. And mm. um, you get that introduction of Dr. Leslie Tompkins, mm. um, who's played by the great Marina Baccarat, you know, from um, Firefly, Serenity... A lot of Joss uh, Whedon stuff um, um, connected there. Yeah, um, and V. And v. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the, the new version, the new series of V. Um, Homeland as well. Yeah. All some, some really good um, shows uh, behind it. We've said before, I absolutely love Marina Bakara and I love her and I'm really interested to see her in the show, yeah. Yeah, so it was great to see her finally arrive as Dr. Leslie Tompkins because obviously it had been um, known for quite some time. And... I just love the little spark that um, when they first meet in the morgue at Arkham and there's that little spark there that sort of develops. There's part of me that thinks that maybe she's been following what he's done in the papers previously um, and that probably after learning that he's come to Arkham or he's been demoted to Arkham that you know she's making sure she's in the right place at the right time. There's mm-hmm. an element of that that she seems to have followed what he's been doing um, and knows about his posting. So I, I feel that there's a certain deliberate act of them coming together here. That's my kind of sense on it. Yeah. But, um, you know, we have this this new relationship begin to spark off. And I think what's really good is that it um, it happens at the same time that we see one of Jim's former relationships uh, with uh, Barbara. Obviously, that's gone. But she has moved in um, with Renny Montoya, Detective mm-hmm. Renny Montoya. We've seen that in the recap at the start of the episode. Yeah. Um, but even that then begins to, um, to to break down between those two. They have a bust up. And actually, it's a really sort of um, powerful scene, I think, between uh, Barbara and, and Renny. Yeah. It, it's a real kind of vicious kind of... Uh, shouting match between the two of them where there's all this talk that you know our relationship is toxic that Barbara is heading back onto drugs and alcohol and is beginning to lose it and you know it's real serious um, issues and essentially Rene um, says that I can't handle this that I've done way too much to kind of move myself beyond our first time at this relationship and I can't go back to that dark place with you and allow myself to to fall apart mm-hmm. like Barbara is beginning to, and so Rennie calls that off. So you have this contrast between sort of the spark sort of developing between Leslie and Jim, and then the spark most definitely beginning to flicker and to to fade out between uh, Rennie and and Barbara. Yeah, and I, I find that a really nice little contrast. I I think. Um, here i think one of the other aspects and this is purely something i um, spotted when jim was back at the gcpd precinct and um, was when he's in captain essen's office uh-huh. with harvey and you know and they're beginning to it's a great little exchange between all these characters of the gcpd or former gcpd you know it looks like they're about to have a drink of uh, whiskey for old time's sake. That you know they've exchanged a few stories. You know, Essen kind of 
quite confidently says that, you know, we would have you back in an instant. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that Essen says to Jim, and I just wonder, is that, you know, you look spiffy in a uniform. (laughs) It's kind of a little flirt from Captain Essen to to Jim Gordon. And obviously we know that Essen and Gordon have a relationship within um, Frank Miller's Batman year one. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to hear her do that little flirt with him Mm -hmm. and to wonder... Is this also the start of something promising between the two characters? And I mean, in which case, like, Jim is just a heartbreaker. Absolutely. He really is a heartbreaker. I I think he's repeating the mistakes of Ryan from the OC. I think he might be. We all know he's a heartbreaker from the OC. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, so uh, once again, John, we give you a point and you bring up three. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. So I've I've got a couple of of things that that came to mind while you were talking on there. So uh, definitely Marina McCarran. I love their little, uh, as they call it, the meat cute. I I think it's really well done where she essentially says that all the girls over in the women's prison are are talking about this great new cop that's uh, that's fought the fought the authority and has been sent here, but she's she loves what he's done. She really loves that he's um, he's gone up against authority, which is a nice little little touch that she's uh, really into him. Um, thought that was quite cool. The Rene and Barbara scene on its own, I think, is a fantastic scene. But the one thing that's really standing out to me, and we talked about the talked about a lot. Um, we talked a lot about Barbara Keane and and Rene's relationship on our on our Euro- European round table, as John said. Um, but the one thing that really stands out to me about Barbara's character is that she's falling. She's free-falling now. She's essentially broken up with Jim because she couldn't take the lifestyle that they had. Went back to, a, as Rene calls it, a toxic relationship um, because she needed some kind of safety net. Because she's falling through drugs, through alcohol. She's definitely an addictive personality. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times before in, in, in my history. Uh, where there are people that are going through these things. And they're just looking for someone to just take the weight off, take the pressure off. And when Rene tells her that uh, she's no longer going to do it, she can't be that person for her, you can see um, Barbara dropping again. You can see her starting to go into that free fall of an addictive personality going, what am I going to do now? What's what's my next step now? I've lost Jim. She's starting to blame herself. She's starting to get freaked out by the fact that she has no one. And I think it's a fantastic scene just in that in that moment. You get a lot more of Barbara than I think we've seen in many of the past episodes. But yeah, really good, really good points, John. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets compounded later on as well with um, a certain little uh, lady who dresses in green um, Mm and who answers the phone call that she's made to her own apartment, presumably to see if Jim is there uh, and to try and, you know, win him back, get some emotional support or whatever that may be. And, you know, she she plays a fairly uh, nasty little kid's trick, I would say, on her. Yeah, I think that leads in really well to my uh, my next point, which is um, which is about Ivy, Ivy Pepper. Uh, I have to say, Claire Foley is fantastic in this episode for me, a real standout. Um, the one that you talked about just there, essentially where she picks up the phone to Barbara Keane, deepens her voice because she knows it's Barbara calling for Jim. She knows, sorry, she knows it's a woman calling for the owner of this apartment. So she just she just plays a joke that she's an adult woman who's in the apartment. Barbara obviously gets the wrong idea and thinks. Jim's got a new girl around, so she's been dropped, essentially. Uh, and she just laughs it off. Poison Ivy. <laughs> Poisoning another relationship. Uh, fantastic little touch there. Yeah. Um, but overall, she, I think Claire Foley's... In fact, Jim may have two other women around, Essen <laughs> and Tompkins. Exactly, exactly. She doesn't even know about Little them. does she know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, on, on Claire Foley, I think, you know, the first time you see her, she's uh, it's in that, in that scene where... Um, where Selena Kyle goes and finds her in a cardboard box. She looks genuinely sickly. Whoever did the makeup for Claire Foley has done a great job. She looks genuinely like I wanted to pick her up and bring her to a hospital. And she looked <laughs> she looked genuinely sickly. Looked great. Um, yeah, and her working with Selena in this episode. It's a nice little callback to the comic books. You know, those those two have an interesting relationship throughout all of the comic book history. And uh, there they like each other. They hate each other. They. Uh, work together a lot sometimes, and, and they work uh, against each other, like we saw with our Hush review. Again, another really nice uh, sort of relationship between these two principal characters from adulthood that is being transported back into Gotham uh, in the young, 
with the younger versions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think Claire Foley's doing a great job. Fred Houston, she's uh, she's really coming on as an actress. It's really good to see her in the show. And I really, I at this stage, she's still in the apartment, right? So we're going to see her again pretty soon. So hopefully we'll uh, hopefully we'll get some more of uh, of Ivy Pepper. That's my point. Yeah. Um. One of my big points, actually, and I would say it's my favourite part of this episode. It really is. And that is Butch Gilzin's continued loyalty mm-hmm. to Fish Mooney. Yeah. Um, and how you do actually begin to doubt him. It's like that they've written his character so that you are doubting everything he's doing because we have um, Saviano and Ganza, two other mobsters from the Falcone family Mm -hmm. who have come into Fisher's club and are, again, have spotted that Falcone is weak and that there is a possibility to move on him and take leadership and ownership of the Falcone family. Mm -hmm. And they're discussing this with Fish. I think Butch knows Savioni, um, and they were childhood friends together. Yeah. But you, there's, it's written in a way, and the camera work is done so that it looks like Butch could be for turning, um, unlike Margaret Thatcher. Um, he could be. <laughs> you know, that's the third time you've mentioned Margaret Thatcher in our podcast. I'm quite impressed. <laughs> I know. Um, child of the 80s, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that he. He looks like he could be turned, and you do begin to doubt him. And then, in what is magnificent, is that you're all proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Those doubts that you have, that Butch Gilzean is doubting his association and alliance with Fish Mooney, mm-hmm. are completely uh, removed as he kills Savioni and... Um, in the car down by the docks after they've had previous meetings together um, and have talked about carving up uh, different elements of Falcone's empire and getting rid of Fish Mooney. Um, It's all, in a sense, um, getting intel for Fish. And Butch has a great sort of um, moment of dialogue where he talks about his childhood uh, relationship with Savioni and about how they pinched what fifty kilos of of pork and of, so yeah, on of meat cuts yeah of yeah. meat cuts yeah. and um, and he said there was about twelve kilos worth of of beef steaks yeah. that he never told Savioni about at mm-hmm. all um, and he goes why would I do that to a brother why would I not share it with you yeah like making this uh, inference that Savioni really isn't that clued in. Even Butch thinks he's better than Savioni, let alone Fish. Mm. So I, I find that really just that whole um, loyalty element of Butch and it being questioned, and you may, you know, just to the back of your mind, you kind of go, "Well, it's it's mobsters, it's criminals, mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a tough uh, environment, it's tough working environment to to be in." <laughs> um, you know, is he going to do the dirty art on Fish? And then in the end. He shows he is, as Fish has said all the way through, my loyal um, right-hand man. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't question his loyalty, Fish said, um, I think, in some of the first episodes. And here we have it. Don't, as an audience, question Butcher's loyalty yeah. to his master, Fish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is a crossover point for me, so I have a couple of little things as well in this. It's uh, it's definitely a brilliant a brilliant episode for those two characters Butch and, and Fish I don't know whether it's because I've watched too much House of Cards recently which I've been watching <laughs> in the off season but uh, there's a, a moment between Fish and Butch where they're talking about how they're going to take over how they're going to convince people how they're going to politicise essentially the uh, Falcone family by convincing different sections of them and I got a real vibe of Frank Underwood uh, controlling his his underlings to get the to get the right vote essentially and get her set, get Fish Mooney set up as the new leader of the Falcone family. So I don't know, maybe it is because I'm watching too much House of Cards at the moment. But it is a great show. Check that one out if you're uh, if you're at a loss for something to do. <laughs> um, but other than that, for for Butch Gilzean, I'd love to talk to the actor Drew Pell about his change in the character since the first episode where he was just a henchman. Uh, and now he is really the right-hand person to, to Jada Pinkett-Smith, and he's really come along as a character. I'd love to get him on to, to interview him, hopefully 
Hopefully we will. You never know. You never know. Put it out there and see if we can do it. Um, but as he was you, always a hench. He was always her right hand man. Yeah, but we just didn't really see it in the early episodes. We're really seeing it now. He's, oh, absolutely, he's definitely. Central. And I think even Jimmy calls it out where where he says the perception of some of the other gang of Falcones is without Butch and his men, fish is nothing. Uh, I think I said that in the round table that that that's what I always felt that without Butch, um, he, well, sorry, with Butch. Uh, he's really supporting Fish and making her an even better character. And Jupel has really come into that role and doing doing some great stuff. Um, a couple of he other... believes in Fish Moon. He does believe in Fish Moon, definitely. Yeah. Um, a couple other quick points about it. Um, uh, you your version of a, of what you what, the way you thought of the discussion between Jimmy and and Butch in the car um, is different to mine actually. Uh, okay. The way I the way I saw it. Butch is sitting down with this guy who's been a childhood friend of his. They've grown up together. They they battled on the streets together. And there's one thing that he was um, insincere about or uh, dishonest about with this true friend of his from when he was a kid. To me, it seemed like he was just trying to say goodbye to his friend by telling him the one secret that he always kept to himself, the one piece of dishonesty among thieves, I suppose, um, that he wanted to share with him before he iced him, before he killed him. Uh, he essentially wanted to say to him, Clear the clear the decks and say, do you remember there's one that one time? This is what oh, okay, I did to okay. you. This is what I stole from you, and I always felt bad about it. And then he kills him to the uh, to the theme of many a tear has to fall, um, which is a great tune about you know the end of the the end of or the big change in your life. You're gonna have to cry your way through it, which I think Butch does feel genuinely sad about killing this friend of his, but he has to do it. This is what will take Fish to the next level. No, that's interesting. I do think there's. Definite remorse, though, I suppose. I came at this scene and I interpreted it as him saying, I didn't respect you enough, even though we were supposed to be the best of mates, right, right. to give you 12 kilos of prime beef steaks. And instead I gave you the offcuts yeah. and kept it secret. It's just the way he said it seemed to me and that it was down to I didn't respect him. Mm-hmm. Not that as a kid it would be about that, but there, there was something there that, why should I give this, you know, schmuck, for want of a better word, <laughs> um, the, these beef steaks, because he's not noticed that they were even there, that he won't notice that they've even gone. Yeah. Why should I share them with him? That kind of thing. Interesting. That's yeah. how I took it, yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. And yeah. I do apologise for saying schmuck. I mean, I, I never say that word, but <laughs> I think schmuck. it's an appropriate word. Yeah, yeah. Given uh, New York City, absolutely. or should I say Gotham. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so, like, my kind of fifth point um, comes down to Penguin, actually. Yeah. Um, and I think we see for the first time that... Oswald Coppelbot uh, publicly takes on the moniker, the mantle of the Penguin. You're beginning to irk me. You're talking to me, the Penguin. So you're a Penguin. So what? I called the cops on It's the Penguin. And that was a very naive call to make. And what a great put down as well. I mean, that's the whole point about this scene. He has the confidence. He's... In Maroney's sort of inner circle, he's the gold goose, honk, honk, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he has the confidence to finally say, I am the penguin. It's mm-hmm. the penguin, you know, to someone. And it means nothing to anyone. Yeah. It's like a number of his his kind of personal or, or social interactions, they, they fall flat except, um, you know, when it's with his mom, who's equally as crazy. crazy yeah. So it, it's a really great little thing where, you know, he publicly declares it and the rug gets pulled right under his feet by who, who else? A fisherman. And mm-hmm. actually, later on, it becomes quite obvious that it gets him into hot water mm-hmm. because he's gone beyond his brief um, from Maroney. You know, and Maroney says, you don't go raising taxes on the fishermen down by the docks that's my prerogative not yours mm-hmm. um and he also has the police called on him and he's arrested and put into the precinct so it's just again that kind of four steps forward two steps back for poor oswald but i think the important thing is that he finally 
and has realized the importance of the name the penguin mm-hmm. and i i love that and i think that's a really important moment um in the show i know there's other moments maybe in earlier episodes that you can identify where he could be have become the penguin mm-hmm. but i think here is where he he's actually out on the streets and he declares it quite openly and confidently yeah. and then unfortunately it gets shot down <laughs> i know i know he may have realized the uh, the worth of the penguin but nobody else has <laughs> which is great uh, I, I i totally agree with you i think there's a uh, this is a great a great scene a great moment for him i love that uh, that oswald says we own the cops when they arrive to pick him up and then they knock him down essentially it's not him that owns the cops it's moroni that yeah. owns the cops I love that Maroney uses the GCPD essentially as a as a timeout corner for uh, for for Penguin. He essentially puts him into prison in the GCPD. He calls to to officer uh, sorry to Detective Alvarez to release him when he when Maroney walks into the precinct and has punished the Penguin enough. He just calls over to Detective Alvarez, let my friends out of here. Um, you know this is this is his naughty step essentially is the GCPD prison. Like that's how corrupt. The GCPD are yeah, exactly. that Maroney just uses the prison as the naughty step for uh, for Oswald. I think that's a, a really good really good scene. I think it's 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 really good. Um, another great progression of the Penguin character. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um. So, uh, what's one of your um other points? Yeah, I think the big one is uh, for me is is Jack Gruber, the uh, the evil character in this episode. Not Hans Gruber. Not Hans Gruber. No, no, uh, no Alan Rickman in this episode. <laughs> that would be awesome. It would have been pretty cool. It would have been pretty cool. Uh, but no, I love how he's dealt with. I love, I love, you know, the opening scene with him is the is the mop uh, on his head, um, playing the part in the Tempest, the central central <laughs> yeah, role, exactly. um, the the William Shakespeare play. No huge connection, really. Nothing really hidden within that play that we could see. Um, that that's connected to this particular episode of the show other than the tempest uh, the character is someone that misdirects everybody's attention away from his real his real goal and in this case i was going to say hans gruber thanks for that john <laughs> um, in this case jack gruber is misdirecting everybody away from the fact that he's essentially testing out on the subjects that are in this prison um so some kind of connection between that and the tempest um, but yeah i love i love his speech pattern it's clearly and I'm sorry, but clearly stolen from Hannibal Lecter in, in Silence of the Lambs, as some other things are within the episode, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, but I love the cadence of how he speaks. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it borrows heavily from yeah, okay. Hannibal, I would say. Inspired yeah. by, let's, inspired let's say. Inspired by, by Hannibal, yeah. Hannibal Lecter. Um, in, only in Silence of the Lambs, not Mads Mikkelsen from the TV series. He's and definitely, I completely get your point there. It's a great misdirect um, that they play. Um, and using the Tempest as well is fairly artistic and, mm-hmm. and theatrical in its own right. But yeah, it's very heavily um, Hannibal kind of orientated. The fact it's an asylum. Yeah. Um, the fact that the tone and intonation of uh, Jack Gruber's speech is very much like Anthony Hopkins yeah. from Silence of the Lamb. That was something that really stood out to me. Yeah. And then he has a few other sort of traits. It's just that methodical sort of deliberate speech that he, he does. Mm-hmm. I, I find it really I good. Think, I think particularly there's a scene where he, where he just says to Jim Gordon, he just says, may I call you Jim? And it's a real, it's a very much of a, yes, Clarice kind of yeah, exactly. vocalization. Really, really good. Uh, the other big one for me is how the episode ends with him breaking out of, of Arkham. Again, a breakout in Arkham, as I said earlier on, is always, always fun because it happens all the time, the revolving doors of Arkham. Um, but the, his good night Jim speech, as I'll call it, which is this scene right here. Dear Officer Gordon, sorry I had to run. I very much wanted to enjoy a proper chat with you before I left, but that show business. I've been practicing my skills on these sad creatures for a while now. Electricity is an amazing thing. It can work wonders. Nurse Dorothy was an early success. This last time, I think I finally got one just right. Bravo to me. But time to go. It was nice to meet you, Jim. And I hope to see you around. All the best, Jack Gruber. I just love it. I love that they essentially the episode's called Rogue's Gallery. Um, he's setting himself up as Jim Gordon's rogue. As uh, This is the first real villain that we've seen Jim and Jim alone deal with. And he calls it out in the in that letter to Jim. He essentially says, 
nice dealing with you. I'll see you again soon. Good night, Jim. Um, it's a, it's a really good a really good element. In the past, we've seen people that could become Batman villains. We've seen people that are rogues of Harry Bullock. Um, but in this case, we're we're looking at a guy that is essentially saying, calling out Jim and saying, "I'm your enemy." Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think two other little important points about that sort of breakout at the end that he orchestrates is mm -hmm. that they kill Doctor Lang. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Right. will not be in any other episodes as Dr. Lang, I would Shh. say not. I can't say the full word, sorry. <laughs> um, so, that's a shame. I, I would have liked to have seen him come back again. Um, I think he's a really good actor. I think of him fondly from The Wire. Mm -hmm. So And there was there was another thing that was kind of sad. He had literally just spoken to, uh, I think it's Harvey Bullock that he says it to, where he's talking about all the secrets and things he can't share. We'll never know those, and it seemed like a yeah. weird line to put in there if we're never going to know those uh, elements yeah, and secrets You that he really has. got the sense that, yeah, there's something deeper going on behind the, the scenes at Arkham, or even just politically with the Mer and the two fighting um, Don families in yeah. Moroni and, and Falcone. So there was that. And, of course, Gruber leaves... Arkham with his most successful experiment to date. That's um, right. Aaron. Aaron, yeah. um, who um, is released with him. So it'll be interesting to see how that may play out as well um, in, in the next episode. Yeah. yeah, which we'll be talking about in our next episode. Um, as I said, no spoilers for that one on, on, on this episode. Um, I have one more point here, John. I, th I think you've actually incorporated two points into one. I have. This time. <laughs> I have. I incorporated two points as I gave Three relationship breakups. <laughs> there you go. There, there you go. go. Split out one. I, lo I love <laughs> your case style. It's, it's quite similar to uh, to Bruce Wayne's board and uh, and Oswald Cobblepot's little map of the city of Gotham, where there's loads of points all over the place. And, uh, loads of points all uh, over the place, and they must come in at various times. Yes. Exactly. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm just not a billionaire. You, yeah, unfortunately, that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> or a millionaire. Got to play more lottery, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, my last point really is Harvey Bullock. It's a quick one. Um, I, I, I'm loving Harvey Bullock. I'm loving Donald Logue in the scenes, but there's a couple that really stood out to me in this. Um, him coming back to help out Jim Gordon. This is he is a he is a changed man. Jim Gordon is his partner now. He comes to help out Jim in in his time of need in uh, in Arkham Asylum. He's it's very specific. He essentially is. He he knows this is Jim's investigation. He takes um, Dr. Lang off to the GCPD to get questioned and tells Jim, you now have free reign. You go and work on the records. You go and do your job, which is investigation, and I'll go rough up this guy back at the station kind of thing. Um, I really like that element of, of Harry Bullock in this episode. Uh, I also love his introduction, essentially, in the episode is where he hears the um, he hears the actor who who'd been tested on by uh, by Gruber, uh, he hears him spouting some uh, some Shakespeare and turns around to him and says, "Yeah, I can I can totally dig that man." You know, really, <laughs> it's really but, good. Real seventies groovy kind of kind of piece. I love that. That's it. I, it's just great that despite their separation, the two partners, the two former partners, have found a way of working together to solve a case, which yeah. is great. And as I was talking about the whole. Um, scene in Essen's office with Jim, Essen and Harvey it kind of culminates with that that scene which is kind of very it's almost, it's them reminiscing, it's very much a sharing of the good old times mm. um, I love I love that, um, that it culminates with that and that they have found this way of working together um, despite their different employers basically yeah, yeah, definitely, and one other scene for me on, on Harvey just uh his treatment of Oswald in the prison is fantastic, <laughs> where he essentially says, I'm going to keep you in there. He's, Oswald calls him old friend again, but it gets nowhere with Harvey. He essentially says, I can watch you from my desk. It's it's great entertainment for me to see you sitting there, punched up and bruised um, in your little cell. That's a lovely little interaction between the two of them. That's my point on Harvey. I really like him in this episode. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing, again, it just shows you how sort of bought the, the GCPD is with, again, Maroney just waltzing into the GCPD yeah, yeah. to essentially pull Oswald out of prison. Yeah, And he's spent that time in the naughty corner, and Maroney's mm -hmm. waltzed in just to say, right, you, you've done your time uh, for me. Don't do that again. Don't be raising tariffs against the, the fishermen. It's so bought. It's such a corrupt institution that the big Don 
of one of the crime families is able to use the precinct in that way. I know. But it's, it's so what you expect Gotham should be because it requires a Batman eventually. Mm-hmm. This is the start of it. And that's the interesting thing to, to, to remember, I think. But again, so brazen from Maroney. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's I think that's all the notes I have on the episode. Sorry, all, all my major case notes on the episode. But I have a couple of little points that jumped out to me about the episode. Yeah. Have you got anything to say before that? Or my only case note that I have is the obvious empty coffee cup. That was my kind of one one of my little okay. negatives. Um, oh yes, Rennie um, has bought Barbara uh, a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and hands it. And it's very obvious from how it's being handled that it's an empty coffee cup, which was a shame because the scene is absolutely brilliant uh, in the bedroom yeah. um, of uh, Rennie and Barbara. I absolutely loved it. But there's this kind of uh, coffee cup being moved around, this takeout coffee cup, which <laughs> is so obviously empty. But isn't hey, it, it's just a minor thing, really. Isn't it's it just... weird when you see stuff like that? But it is so noticeable that, that Aaron Richards is not drinking coffee. It's so noticeable that you know they didn't even fill it up with water. It's completely empty, empty, empty prop, essentially. But yeah, it, is, it was very noticeable uh, and very funny, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yourself? Uh, for me, I the one thing that really jumped out at me because I am again a child of the eighties and a huge fan of the TV show Moonlighting, which starred Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd. John's given a great face here again. I wish it was a video podcast. Um, but the character, uh, the nurse that's in the episode, the big, uh, the the actual big bad in the episode, ah, Dorothy. The person, yeah, the person that releases all the all the inmates. That was Miss Agnes de Pesto, who was the uh, the receptionist in Moonlighting. And I loved that show ah, and watched okay. it every week. That was That's great to see really her. really interesting. Yeah, it was yeah. great to see her in this episode. Um, one thing that I know that's a weird connection, I know you're going to laugh at this one, but uh, but yeah, in Moonlighting they did an episode which was all about the taming of the shrew. That was their, They did their version of the taming of the shrew. And in this episode we have Shakespeare's The Tempest. So I just liked that they brought in a character that had done yeah. a Shakespeare uh, episode in the past in an episode that had about the Tempest. And she's actually a tragic figure because she's one of Jack Gruber's experiments mm-hmm. and a former inmate who just happens to have been given a bit more responsibility to look after people as well because she's dressed in a in a nurse's outfit but yeah. she is a, a tragic figure. Yeah, yeah. And one final note for me that I just thought was interesting is uh, Marina Baccarin's scene where she's uh, Dr. Leslie Tompkins where she's talking to um, to Jim Gordon uh, about the case and is really interested in uh, in the elements or what's happening uh, with the electrocuted patients and called, it just says the word fascinating, fascinating. Very similar to our, our little favourite, Ed, Ed Nigma, who is also kind of in love with Jim Gordon, um, where, you know, it's a nice little, little callback to you know, someone who is so interested in the weird things that are going on around them that they just find it fascinating. It's a very you know, little callback to uh, to Leonard Nimoy's Spock, I suppose, um, that where you've got people that are seeing weird situations. They don't freak out. They just go, fascinating. This is something that I'd really like to explore, a real scientist's um, response. Yeah. Again, Jim, the big heartbreaker. Mm, poor Ed. Poor Ed. <laughs> poor Barbara. Uh-huh. Poor, probably, Leslie Tompkins. Yeah. And- Harvey might even have a crush. I think there may be a bit of man crush going on right. between the two. Yeah, and we actually did. And they got split up. That's right. That's right. One of the things that we haven't talked about in relation to Leslie Tompkins is just her background from the comics and, and where she comes from and, and, and why. Yeah. Like, you've got a few thoughts on this. Yeah, Leslie Tompkins is a is a, a really big character for Batman. She's a a, a much older character. She was a, a I believe she was a physician um, who worked with uh, with his parents. Um, so she's a much older character who doesn't really respect um, Batman as a vigilante. She's known Bruce all his life and doesn't want him to be in harm's way all the time. Um, so it's quite an interesting dynamic and very changed here. She definitely wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be the same age as. Um, as Jim Gordon, she'd be uh, she would have been a lot older character, and definitely was never a love interest for any for any of the characters. She was a much more of a mother figure, almost like a yeah. you know, almost like an aunt, uh, you know, a, a, a relative of of Bruce that just wants to keep him out of harm's way and will essentially tend to his wounds when he needs uh, when he needs his wounds tended to. Um, but yeah, quite interesting. We've seen her and we we talked about her. She was in the uh, in the book Hush. Uh, we talked about her during uh, during that uh, coverage. But um, 
great to see the character. I I don't mind the changes at all. I think it's uh, I think it's really fun, and you know you can't really mind them when you've got a, an actress like Marina Bakaran on board. Um, she is she is nerd gold. Um, so absolutely. Great to have her on board. I think one of the other final things is just to do with um, it's called Rogues Gallery, mm-hmm. and I know you've mentioned that. Jack Gruber essentially sets himself up as a rogue of, of Jim Gordon. Yes. But we do have the frogman being mentioned, yeah. um, who believes that a frog is living and controlling him from within. Uh-huh. And we, Interesting one, yeah. Exactly. And then we also have the scene where there is a very large guy with a teddy bear, which is very indicative of Bane. That's right. Yeah, it's a possibility. So yeah. you never know. Um, there could be a few... Other rogues that have been loosely spattered around, but they're two that uh, we kind of either picked up on um, from the scenes or just from the names being thrown around. So um, if you've got any other uh, rogues that you spotted during Rogues Gallery, Mm -hmm. um, leave us um, a comment or feedback at Gotham TV Podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+. just search for the handle Gotham TV Podcast and leave a comment. Give us some feedback on tonight's episode, um, Rose Gallery. Uh, tell us what you think, and we will share that with, with our listeners. And, of course, if you want to send us an email, you can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. And if you do send feedback or comments and indeed leave a review on iTunes or any other good podcast catcher like Stitcher or Player FM, um, you will be entered into um, our new competition, which we're giving away a Christopher Uminga signed print of Oswald Coppelbot mm-hmm. with his umbrella, looking um, sort of dour, cool. I yeah. think. Yeah, it looks. He, it does look really like Robin Lord Taylor as well. It's definitely done after Robin Lord Taylor was cast. It's uh, it's when we picked up at New York Comic Con last year. Um, really good uh, image. If you haven't seen it, pop onto the website. You'll see the actual image that we're that we're talking about. But really good, definitely. We're looking for a good home for that one. So yeah, and we're going to be throwing in some other um, Batman and Gotham goodies uh, as well into the bargain. So please, it's free to enter the competition. Anyone can enter. Just leave a review on iTunes or any other good podcast catcher, or provide us with feedback and um, or comments that we talk on air. And all those names will get put into a hat and will get picked um, in our final episode. Um, where we discuss the final episode of Gotham. Yep. I think that's it for the uh, for the episode Rogue Gallery. Um, you can join us again in the next podcast that should be coming up on your uh, on your iTunes feed if you've subscribed to us or pop into your podcast catcher if you've subscribed in a podcast catcher. Um, we're just going to talk about the news now, but if you uh, don't want to hear the news, pop on over to, uh, to our review of uh, What the Little Bird Told Me. Right, so on to the news. Our first item of news this week is a bit of casting news about a character we love to bits. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, Christopher Chalk, who was, uh, who was in the fantastic film 12 Years a Slave, has been cast in the role of Lucius Fox. Lucius Fox is coming to Gotham. I can't wait, to be honest. Oh, um, it's just I really brilliant. can't wait. Um, it should be a really good dynamic uh, to have. It's it's another adult figure potentially who will be there for the young Bruce Wayne, which will be interesting to see. You know, mm-hmm. we've already got Jim Gordon, we've already got Alfred Pennyworth, so it'll be interesting to see that. Plus, I wonder whether they'll bring him in as an ally for Bruce in relation to um, what we saw in Viper and that darker element to um, the Wayne Enterprises, and whether he is the the shining light in Wayne Enterprises. Uh, against those kind of darker elements that we've seen with Martha Mattis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's really interesting. We got a we got a tweet uh, when this news was announced. We were we were chatting online with uh, with Sharon Washington, who plays the character of Martha Mattis, where she copied in Chris Chalk and was saying, uh, "Do you think there'll be a battle out for the soul of of Wayne Enterprises between Lucius Fox 
and Martha Mathis, which I thought was thought was quite fun. Uh, definitely really interesting. I if, hope so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really hope so. That would be, great be very cool. Um, if you don't know who Lucius Fox is, or if you don't recognise the name, just in case, it's it's, it's possible. Uh, the character of Lucius Fox was played by Morgan Freeman in uh, in the Christopher Nolan Batman films. He was quite a central character to uh, to the life of the of of Bruce Wayne as he you know takes on the role of uh, the head of the board or the head of the head of Wayne Enterprises and eventually becomes the head of the board himself um, for Wayne Enterprises so he's a he's a friend of Bruce's father he uh, he grew up and is a very tech gadgety type of person so that's where uh, where Bruce in those films anyway gets all of his uh, all of his gadgets from he's essentially Batman's Q uh, with all the gadgets and so on so yeah. from Bond yeah i should add as well oh well yeah of course yeah very very i'm not just Recounting the alphabet in a strange order. <laughs> this is QRST. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, so we finally get the answer to where does he get those wonderful toys? Uh, and it's Lucius Fox. I think it's brilliant. I love the idea that they're bringing him in. It's a character that makes total sense to be in Gotham at this time. He's obviously played by Morgan Freeman in the uh, in the films, as I said, um, which is a much older character. He's got you know forty or fifty years uh, younger as this character. So. Uh, you know, probably twenty or thirty years. You know, probably play it a play it differently, but it makes total sense to be in Gotham at this time. Definitely, definitely. Um, one of the other bits of news that we um have to say, and it's yeah, and it's slightly sad for me actually to say this is that huge possible spoilers here. So again, jump on ahead if you don't want to hear this news. You've probably seen it on the internet, but just big spoilers by the yeah. way. Yeah, and. It was also um, sent on to us by Scott Fisher as well, is that Jada Pinkett Smith has said that she will not be returning to season two. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if that is true, that's really sad. I've had and grown a fondness of Jada Pinkett Smith's role as Fish Mooney. Yeah. I think her dynamic with Butch and with the whole storyline surrounding the attack um, on Falcone is a really intriguing and interesting one, and I love it. And I know there's been some criticism of how maybe she's held herself or her mannerisms, but I've enjoyed how she's portrayed Fish Mooney, this new character to the world of Gotham and to um, potentially the world of Batman. But we wonder whether maybe it's not all what it appears, Mm. possibly, um, in that there are two possibilities as to why she's not returning um, on season two. It could be one that she is killed Uh and she is replaced by Oswald, maybe. Not an address, though. Not an address, (laughs) no. Um, Or that she is arrested and thrown into Arkham Asylum, Mm -hmm. where she spends her time, which would give the writers and the creators and the producers... Um, po- the possibility of bringing her back, maybe not in season two, maybe in season three, yeah. it would at least provide that option um, for her. But I hope that she does return, actually. Um, maybe not in season two. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I can understand maybe she wants to have that um, break from the show. And certainly given that we had discussed this really, really early on when we were talking casting characters of Gotham back in two, March uh, last year. So it was a year ago. Yeah, year this ago, time last month. year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember the original announcement that Jada Pinkett Smith was coming into the show it was a really big guess for the for the producers and, and people behind Gotham. And she'd specifically announced it as she'll be on the show for one year. That was how she'd announced it to her friends and announced it in her first interview about Gotham. So it doesn't come as a big surprise that she's leaving. I just feel, and I think Scott made the point to us in his email, that it's unusual for someone to announce this so close to the end of the series in the U.S., um, that she's not coming back for for the next season. It sounds like a huge spoiler, doesn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it sounds like a really interesting thing for Definitely. an actor to say, and it's it's kind of a pity she's announced it this way. She could have waited until uh, summer and said, "I'm not coming back if something huge happens to her character at the end of the season," which we totally expect. There's something big going to happen to Fish at the end of the season. There's no reason why um, why there wouldn't be a huge cliffhanger with that character, but. Also, we know that Oswald can't climb the ladder without her being gone. So, you know, it's it's a very good possibility she will be gone. Yeah, I mean, we've been postulating that the rise of the penguin in, in Gotham ultimately means the demise of the fish. That's right. So, um, it's not really a surprise. And it's, even a year ago, this was 
banded around that she was only going to be here for one season, yeah. for one year. Um, in that sense, it's not such a big surprise. But she has become a really interesting character. And so I kind of hope that essentially she gets banged up in um, Arkham. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they throw away the key because she's always going to escape. Oh, that's there. true. That's true. It is the revolving door, so there's probably no keys for us. But... <laughs> so I think it's on to some feedback. Fascinating. Points well made, I think. We've received some feedback from Detective Butcher, Daniel Butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, in relation to Rose Gallery, OK, guys, um, I've worked ahead and cheated since I knew that you'd be coming back to Gotham over the next few days. So some of his points are on episode 11 is Maroney, fantastic. Um, Bullock, as wonderful as a bonsai tree. <laughs> um, interesting. A, a slow grower, maybe, mm. um, in miniature. I don't know. Um, I'm not entirely sure I get that reference. Uh, so I forgive just... my um, sort of brain deadness <laughs> at this stage. I think it's kind of like as crazy as a bag of cats kind of thing. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, Butch, I think we can all agree on this. Bringing the Godfather to Gotham. Uh, this is a storyline that makes me want to watch more, says, says Daniel. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tompkins, now this is a romance that I can enjoy. It's an evenly matched pair with some heat. I want to see more of Gideon, see Flash in Jim's life. Um, and I think uh, it's something, obviously, that we've been talking about, or you had mentioned specifically as one of these points, that it seemed to be a much more evenly matched pair Mm -hmm. there was some reason for the meeting which was obviously she's the nurse at arkham he's been demoted to arkham so there's a number of points here that that daniel brings out so what do you think yeah yeah really good yeah i love uh, as i said um butch gilzine scene in in this episode particularly is fantastic we were live tweeting last night and mentioned that i love how he's handling the character i love how they're really uh working well on the show with with butch gilzine and drew pell uh, did favor it and retweeted, so uh, he obviously likes the compliment as well. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really showing the development of his character. Really, really enjoying that. And yeah, definitely said it before. Doctor Tompkins is a great addition to the show. I'm really enjoying um, Marina Bakarin so far. Yeah, exactly. Now there is one thing that uh, Daniel had said kind of caused him a bit of confusion, and that was the the rank um, on Jim's collar. So his collar. Um, has a single chevron, mm-hmm. a sort of a metal pin badge as a, a single chevron. But then on his arm, he has three chevrons, um, a, a three chevron sort of patch or mm-hmm. badge um, on his arm. And now, my understanding is that three chevrons indicate a sergeant, whereas one chevron indicates a corporal. Mm. So I don't know. I'm not fully up on my chevrons, so <laughs> to speak. But there does seem to be a mismatch, but then I'm not entirely sure whether police or prison officers have the same type of chevrons as, say, the Army, Navy, and Air Force. I mean, there's a lot of history behind all these different symbols within yeah. armed services and, and security forces or police forces. Um, but I'm not entirely sure I know enough about chevrons, unfortunately, to answer that. But certainly I think Daniel's picked out maybe a slight... Um, discrepancy in the costume potentially potentially, potentially. Like i know there's a reference to uh to jim being demoted because he's gone to arkham dr lang specifically puts him in his place about the fact that he's no longer a detective um so potentially he's just in between uh two uh two ranks of uh of police officer um i know that uh that agent butcher is a uh, is a war historian so he probably knows this stuff a lot better than we do uh, but uh we've we've done all the searching we possibly can and can't see any reason why we would have two different uh tiers of rank there as I said, except for the fact that perhaps he's just changing uniforms and isn't willing to let go of his detective rank in the GCPD, potentially. So, Detective Daniel, Detective Daniel Butcher, if we have completely ham-fisted our explanation of um, the chevrons mm-hmm. on uh, Jim Gordon's prison uniform, let us know. But certainly, you've actually picked that discrepancy there, and we can, we definitely see it. You sent us a picture as well and highlighted it out, so... It's kind of interesting to know. I don't know whether you know security officers or prison officers have different kind of rankings and and significance to these chevrons, but um, that's one for the costume department, I mm-hmm. reckon. Absolutely. 
We did get a little bit of feedback on episode 12 during uh, during our Twitter live tweet last night um, from Karen Walsh, uh, essentially saying there's always twists and turns in this show, which makes for an interesting uh, an interesting series. Um, thanks, Karen. That's good to uh, good to hear your feedback. We did get a lot more in the second episode, so we'll put that into uh, into our episode 12 review. Uh, and thanks to everybody for uh, for following along with us last night and all the favorites and retweets and uh, and interaction it was really good fun. But even on episode 11, the twisty turny aspects of it, you know, we see see um barbara Keane essentially lose her reconnected relationship with Rennie montoya mm-hmm. we see um the spark bit, uh, develop and jim moving on from barbara with regards to dr leslie Tompkins. Yeah. so loads of different twists and turns and even just having such a big um actor to play dr lang the director of arkham uh, as uh, isaiah whitlock jr and mm-hmm. um, he gets killed as well, which is a huge blow for Arkham. I mean, will we see another director there, I wonder, maybe, at some point down yeah. the line in future episodes, given what we know now from episode 12? Yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially. Uh, I did like one quick comment that uh, that I saw uh, last night from Lady J about uh, about the breakup of, of Aaron and Barbara, which she just says that was the best and worst three minutes of my life, uh, <laughs> where essentially the two of them finally reconnect, they're finally sharing an apartment and then break up. Um, so thought that was kind of fun. But thanks as always for your feedback. You can follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. We usually live tweet the episodes uh, depending on how uh, obsessive we are on the episode while we're watching it, uh, and then we usually rewatch it to do our uh, to do our episode reviews. So uh, join us at nine PM each week for the next eleven weeks, I think, until the end of the series. Absolutely. Everybody, thanks so much for listening. Happy St. Patrick's Day from us. Happy St. Patrick's Day. The Guinness has certainly been uh, flowing with this honorary Irishman mm-hmm. here um, and maybe accounts for some of the slurring that's going on. <laughs> we are not drunk, I promise <laughs> No, we you. are not drunk. <laughs> but, thanks but it for... is meat and two veg in a pint glass. There you go. And <laughs> lovely. Yeah. It is It is a meal in itself, definitely. Uh, thanks very much for listening. As I said, if you uh, make sure you go and subscribe to us on iTunes at gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. Uh, leave us a review, as we said, to join the competition to win that print, as we talked about. Uh, yeah, and keep sending us in your feedback. It's great to hear from you guys. Yeah, no, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you for our next episode, which is a continuation of this in What the Little Bird Told Me. Yeah, yeah, which we'll be recording in about 15 minutes. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening. On to the next Guinness. <laughs> Many a deer has to fall but it's all in the game All in the wonderful game That we know as love Gotham TV Podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya <laughs> He's like Batman Zen. Yes, exactly. Like his like his M. Now oh, his Q. His Q? No, his M. Oh, okay. Yeah, From Bond. Good. Yeah. I should add as well. Oh well yeah, of course. Yeah. Very very I'm not just recounting the alphabet <laughs> in a strange order. This is Q or S T. yeah, no, I like it. I like it. It's a, it's a really interesting and I'm delighted to see they're bringing in the character. There's no Q. I think it's Q, yeah. Um M is uh Jen Judy Dench. So I'm gonna think of it. No, no, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you for our next episode, which is a continuation of this in Everything That Little Bird Knows. What that little bird told me. What that little bird told me. <laughs> <laughs>